Well, if you're just joining us for the first time, we've been going through this message series called Chasing Carrots. And the big idea is simply this, that when it comes to our happiness or peace, we often look at the things or the people around us instead of looking up to God. And so we've been looking at some really general and specific areas of life where it's natural for us to look for happiness and peace in the wrong places and then realigning that with something that God promises us to be true. And where we're taking this series here at the very tail end, again, if, if, if this is your first week, this is a great time to be here because you're getting like the big conclusion and the awesome ending of the series. And I'm the one preaching, so it's, it's, you know it's going to be good. But the, the big conclusion here is actually coming full circle because one of the first things we talked about was the whole idea that you can't really have happiness or peace in the present as long as you're carrying these burdens or this guilt from your past. And so week two, Ben really dug down into that whole concept of addressing your past, getting past your past, so that you can have the peace and the freedom God wants you to have in the present. And the reason we're taking this full circle is because today we're really doing the opposite end of the spectrum. Some of you are carrying something into the future that is stealing away your peace and comfort in the present. And I'll explain that in a little bit. I think this looks a little bit different for everyone, how it is you carry something into the future that steals your peace and comfort in the present. But I think the most uh, across-the-board general way that all of us do this is with one simple phrase that you either speak out loud or maybe it's just this voice, more commonly this voice, in the back of your head. And the statement goes like this. I will be happy when... I'm going to come back to this at the end, but how would you finish that sentence? I will be happy when I get out of grade school and go into middle school. I'll be happy when I get to high school. I'll be happy when I get to college. I'll be happy when school is done. Amen? I'll be happy when I find someone special. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I start a family. I'll be happy when my kids learn to use the potty on their own. I'll be happy when my kids leave the house. I'll be happy when I get a job. I'll be happy when I get a promotion, or I'll be happy when I get a better job. I'll be happy when I retire. Amen. <laughs> I'll be happy when the doctors find a way to make my body hurt less. How do you finish the sentence? Because when I start to pile all those things up, I hope what starts to become clear to you is that when never comes. I'll be happy when is just a way of pushing back the goalpost time and time and time again so that you always have this promise of happiness and peace, but you never quite reach it. Like a hamster running on his wheel, you chase it, you chase it, you chase it, but as long as your happiness and your peace is tied to something in the future, you will never have it in the present. Now, for the sake of this message, I'm summarizing it this way. I will be happy when I have the easy life, when things line up in a way that I want them to line up into. And what's at the heart of this is something that we all experience. There's always this moment or season in life when you realize your life isn't going the way you wanted it to go. Whether it's a relationship thing, or an employment thing, or a school thing, or a family thing, or a marriage thing. It's always something in life where you're like, this isn't the way life was supposed to be. 
I'll be happy when it changes. I'll be happy when the season is over. But when never came. You just keep going over and over again, changing when it will be. The, the thing that I, I, I recognize about this is that we're actually wanting something that God wants us to have. He acknowledges and knows that there are things in life that just aren't lining up right. The difference is in what we do with it. You see, when things don't line up right, all we're looking for is some comfort or some hope that things can get better in the future. That's something God wants for you too. But too often, too often, I, and I know many of you, we actually go for a version of comfort that is a counterfeit. The counterfeit comfort is where we set, when, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when. That is a counterfeit comfort that never actually fulfills what it promises to do. In fact, number one, if you're taking notes on your sheet, counterfeit comfort will leave you empty. It will leave you empty. Because what if someday never comes? Now, speaking of counterfeit, just I want to illustrate this real quickly because I think this is something that really can connect with a lot of people. Inside my right pocket, my right, your left, inside my right pocket are two bills, like currency. One of them is real and one of them is fake. And there was law enforcement in the early service and I was not arrested. So I have counterfeit money, but I, I don't think it's legitimate enough to be arrested for, I hope. But here's what's in my pocket. Two, 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 two bills. Uh, one of them is real. One of them is fake. What you should also know is that one of them is a $20 bill and one of them is a $1 bill. And without even looking at them, just as you know, one of them is counterfeit. They can't both be real. And someone is trying to pull something over on you. If I offered both to you, which one would you take? The 20 or the 1? You would take the real one. That's a good answer. You don't know which one is real. If you only had to pick one, you'd probably say, well, I'm probably just going to take the $1 bill because if someone is trying to get it, you know, pull something on me, they're probably trying to give me something that's too good to be true. I, I want to connect that to something too. When you have a counterfeit comfort, there are two versions, one that promises a whole lot and one that promises something very little. And too often, we go for the counterfeit, the one that offers too little. So I have these two bills in my pocket. One is real, one is fake. And if we had time, I would bring someone up here to, you know, I have to be careful how I open this, hold on. Okay, all right. So two bills, and I'm sure if you look at them, you might not be able to tell the difference right away. Although if you have a keen eye, you might. The cool thing is, if, if I brought someone up here and blindfolded them, I could probably just have them sniff the two and they could tell with their nose which one is real. Especially if you've been a waiter or a busser. You know it's like going home at the end of the night with a stack of $1 bills. But the thing is, if you look at them closely, you will recognize that real quickly, one of them stands out as a fake. I didn't do a very good job with this guy. And so you'd know right away, first of all, which one is legitimate. And wow, a pastor actually has 20 bucks. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> but what if you had never seen money before. Just pretend with me real quick, and then we'll get to the point. Pretend you'd never actually held any paper currency in your hand before, and someone put a counterfeit in your hand, and they, they asked you, is this real or not? And you'd have to say, I don't know, because I've never held the real thing. When it comes to counterfeit comfort, I believe some of the people in this room 
don't know what the authentic thing feels like because they've only been handed the fake. So here's what I want to do today. I want to go through this little journey where we acknowledge both for, to God in, in, this, in this room that we need the wisdom to discern what we should do when our life is not lining up the way we want it to line up. What hope and comfort can we have? And what is the authentic comfort that God wants you to take away? And once we nail down on, okay, what it is, what I want to do is show you just two quick ways that this can impact you in a very real, um, practical way. In fact, if you opt for the counterfeit, you're actually minimizing or even negating what God wants you to do in your life. So we're going to cover all that stuff here as we look at a few different sections of the Bible. All these sections are actually letters written by Jesus' apostles. In fact, the first one, I think it's cool. You can actually go back historically and see, wow, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter in 55 AD while he was in Macedonia, and he was writing it to some Christians in a city named Corinth. Like, we have the historical background for some of these letters in the New Testament, which I think is amazing. But as we look at this letter that Paul wrote, he's starting it with this reason to have this thankfulness for God. And as he does so, he gives you and me some direction when it comes to what the authentic, the authentic kind of comfort is that we can have when life doesn't seem to be going the way we want it to go. So in 55 AD, here's what the Apostle Paul said about comfort. He starts his letter off with this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and we'll hit the other part in a second. Compassion means that God's heart goes out to people who are in unfortunate circumstances. He acknowledges people are going through a season of life that is not what they wanted and not what they expected. Compassion means he's there with them. And then he's not just the God of compassion or father of compassion. He's also the God of, say it with me, church, all comfort. Good job. You're way better than the first service. He's the God of all comfort. That word comfort in the Greek, it's this word uh, parakaleo. Sometimes we hear maybe the Holy Spirit referred to as the paraclete, which it's not parakeet, it's cleet, paraclete. We never, anyway, what it means is literally speaking alongside of, encouraging, comforting, speaking alongside of. The way I visualize it is if you've got a long distance runner, who's maybe doing a marathon and they're in mile 20 or mile 30, and, or not 30, 20 or 21 or 22, and they're just getting tired, they're ready to give up. It's when their coach steps in next to them, starts running beside them, and they say, keep going, keep going. This is what we train for. You got this, you got this. They're speaking alongside of. They're encouraging. They're right there with you giving some words of encouragement and advice. And that's what God does. He's there, he's compassionate, recognizing the unfortunate circumstances in life, but he's also the one who's the God of all comfort, which means he's right there with you, cheering you along, encouraging you. Now, the reason I wanted to focus on the word all is because I believe in our culture, in our society, we are almost directed to make him not the God of all comfort, but just the God of some comfort. Um, God's comfort, maybe that's good for funerals and weddings and occasional Sunday services here and there. 
right? Um, God is the comfort of eternity, but when it comes to real stuff in life, I mean, let's just be real. We have to, you know, find different sources. That's not what the Apostle Paul argued. He saw what Jesus could do, and he said, no, this is the God of all comfort, all comfort, not just the funeral comfort, which we need desperately. He's the God of, I'm not sure about my job, comfort, or I need some help at home, comfort, or I need to understand my habits better, comfort. This is the God of all comfort. So what does it mean then if you take the God of all comfort and you set him aside and say, no, I'm going to pursue a counterfeit comfort for a while. You're giving up something unnecessarily and creating an obstacle to joy that God does not want to be there. So Paul's going to get real, and he says, look, the kind of comfort I'm talking about that God gives to real people just like me and you, it applies across the board to every area of life. And here's how he illustrated that. This is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles, all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. This is a comfort we can give to anybody in any trouble whatsoever. This applies to every area of life because we ourselves have received this gift from God. We've been filled up and we overflow to others. And this is a gift that is freely given to all people. And right now in the message, what I really want to draw out is a little bit of tension that you should be feeling right about now, especially if you're a Christian. And the tension is simply that maybe you don't feel like you deserve God's comfort in all of your life. You see, it's at this point in the message where you're starting to feel that maybe I've been not just receiving counterfeit comfort and buying into it myself, but I've been a dealer. I've been sharing counterfeit comfort. When people are struggling through a time in life, all I tell them is, they're there, it'll get better someday. Just hold out hope. That's a counterfeit comfort. When someone is is, uh, wrestling with what to do with their life, oh, you'll figure it out. Just do what you like. Is that a counterfeit comfort? Or maybe there is a conversation that comes to your mind where you didn't just buy into counterfeit comfort, but you sold it to somebody Else. And now you're thinking to yourself, I don't deserve this. I've forfeited too much. And here's where I want to get into another letter that Paul wrote. See, here's what Paul says about you and me. Christ's love compels us. We'll talk about that in a second. Because we are convinced, we believe that one died for all. The amazing truth that we are convinced of because we saw Jesus die and then we saw him come back to life, this amazing truth we're convinced of is that he died for us and a great exchange took place. Our sin was punished. It's as if we were put to death when Jesus died. God's anger at sin and God's separation from sin was dealt with. One died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is your story. Have you held on to counterfeit comfort? Yeah, I have too. Does that disqualify you from being comforted? No. Actually, you are the target recipients of God's grace and forgiveness. One died for all, 
Your sins are forgiven. You've been comforted. And this is a comfort we as a church, we, we go back to this every week, first part of the service, every week. God, we need your forgiveness again, again, again. And his grace never runs out. One died for all. And that's something you just need to maybe bring in and appreciate in this moment. And then, together with that, recognizing that when he did that, he died for all, and then he lived for you too, that he gave you a mission and a purpose. It's like he, he brought us all together, and he's like, man, you guys have been duped for a while. You've been chasing things that won't give you happiness or peace or joy. You've been putting your hope in the future without even any understanding of, of what conditions you're placing on future you. And he had compassion. He's the God of all comfort. And he brings together his church and he says, now here's what we're going to do. I'm filling you up with comfort so you can comfort others. I'm filling you up and here's how people will know that you understand what I've done for you. People will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. That's incredible. Jesus, the night before he died, told his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. This is how people will know, and this is how they will taste the authentic comfort that only I can give. He shared that with them. And here's what it means to love others as Christ has loved you. It means you love other people when it's inconvenient for you. It means you love other people, and it might be sacrificial of you, but to demonstrate and to reflect this Christ-like love to the people around you will not be easy. If you're taking notes, number two, sacrificial love is not supposed to be easy. And so if you tell yourself, I'll be happy when I have the easy life, what you're doing is you're chasing a version of life that you were not called to. You were called to love as a reflection of the way you've been loved. But you can't do that if you're consumed by chasing the easy life. You will set yourself up to miss the mark of what God has called you to do. Sacrificial love is not supposed to be easy. And so I hope by now you can start to see that, okay, if we just pursue the easy life, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when. Actually, it's the difficult things in life that give us the purpose. Now, some of you in the room, I have to balance this out a little bit. Some of you need to be pushed to love a little bit more. Some of you, you think you're Jesus. You need to love a little bit less. We'll talk about that at the end. You aren't Jesus. You can't sacrifice as much as he did. So we have to draw our limits somewhere. And like I said, we'll, we'll get there at the end. But sacrificial love should compel you, should compel you to a life that is not easy. So how does that change your story or your sentence? When I will blank, then I'll be happy. How does that change your story? Well, as we look at uh, another thing written in the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, which is cool, we have a letter written by the brother of Jesus himself. James talks about another value of the hard life. One is, yes, you have to be... You have to embrace the hard life if you're going to love sacrificially. James looked at it from another angle. He said... It's not just for other people that it benefits, but it's actually for you if you go through hardships. So this is what James wrote in, in his letter. He said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And when you think of faith, don't just think 
worldview or belief system. Faith in the New Testament is often more of a relationship. It's how you are in a relationship with God or with Jesus. And, and so as you think about the trials in your life, every trial gives you an option. Do you pursue the path that Jesus says is best for you, or do you, do you pursue your own way? And the more trials you go through, the more you see the wisdom and the love of Jesus' path and the foolishness and the emptiness of your own. So James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many different kinds in many different areas of life because it's through these trials testing your faith that you develop perseverance. And then he goes on, perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you go through life and you just want the easy life, you might have the easy life, but you'll have an immature, childish faith that go to go along with it. James would argue the more trials you face and the more difficulty, the more your faith will be refined. I put it this way, number three, hardships, they don't create faith. They don't necessarily grow faith, but they do make your faith better because hardships force you to exercise this relationship that you have with Jesus. So, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I have the easy life. I'll be happy when things are better. Or, I'll be happy now. Because even now, in the midst of a life where it's not going the way I want it to go or thought it would go, I know that I have a comforter beside me, one who is speaking into my life, one who is compassionate, and one who wants the best for me. And I believe that through these trials, I will have opportunities to to display a Christ-like love that these trials would not allow for otherwise. And I believe that in the moments of these trials, this will exercise my relationship with my Father in heaven, and it will draw me closer to him and force me to exercise putting my faith in his promises. I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when. You see, you get to decide how that sentence ends. When will you be happy? When you look at Jesus' life, he also had a decision. He finished the statement, I will be happy when. But the answer, the way he finished it, was totally unpredictable. Just to get a picture of who he is, I mean, this is the Son of God from eternity outside of this creation who stepped into it and became a human being, flesh and blood, just like you and me. And you have to be wondering, did he say, I'll be happy when I'm my own creature? I'll be happy when I set aside my divine power for a moment to become just like them? I don't think that would make anyone very happy, but rather the opposite. What about this? When he, when he started to make his public appearance in this world, did he walk around you know, saying, well, I'll be happy when all the people love me? He didn't say that because he actually made a lot of enemies because he was faithful to the truth. I'll be happy when I have the easy life. No, he actually set aside the use of his miracles so they wouldn't be for his own benefit. The only purpose of his miracles was to show people who he was. He didn't even use his own miracles for his own benefit or to make his life easy. Here's how he answered it, or here's how he finished the statement. He said, I will be happy when my path leads to suffering and death. Here's how it's put in Philippians. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, to bring you back to God. And here's where I want to take this. See, Jesus placed a condition on his happiness. He would not be happy until he won the redemption of the world. He placed a condition on his joy to remove the conditions from yours so that he could stand here, if he were here today, and say to you, you don't need to place future conditions on the joy and peace that I already won for you. You don't need to be happy when. You can be happy and joyful now. I will take care of the when. I will make sure that the circumstances line up so that I can work all things for the good of those who love me, who have been called according to my purpose. I just want you to realize that what you have in this moment is a miraculous gift. This peace and this joy. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to finish that sentence. What have you been telling yourself? I will be happy when. How do you finish it? And then I want you to take that when and I want you to tell it something. When has been an unnecessary obstacle to my peace and my happiness. Retirement, you have been an unnecessary obstacle to my peace and my retirement, my peace and my happiness. I will be peaceful and happy right now. Getting married, it'll be good when it happens, but you have been an unnecessary obstacle to my peace and happiness that God is alongside me with me even right now. How do you finish the statement? What condition have you been putting on your happiness that might or might not happen in the future? Would you tell it that it's been an unnecessary obstacle to what Jesus has already given you? And then take this home with you. Number four, just let God set the conditions for your happiness. Would you do that? He alone has the right to determine whether you should be joyful or whether you should be sad or sorrowful. So would you just let him set those conditions for you? Get rid of the, when this happens, then I'll be happy. But just say, God, because of what you're doing and how you're shaping things, I can have joy. I can have peace. And throughout this series, I think the thing we've come back to more than anything is that once you get off that hamster wheel, that just leads nowhere. It just gets you exhausted. Once you leave that hamster wheel of looking around for peace and joy, and once you start looking up, you find such freedom to live, to love, to serve like you've never done before. To the point where I'm, I'm looking across the room here, we've got some room for people to come. The reason we're here is to share that freedom with this community. So next week, would you join me? My church, a couple crazy pastors, but I'll tell you what, we know what freedom feels like and we know what peace is like. Would you come join me? Would you come sit with me? Just be there. Enjoy what we built for you because this is a place where God's peace reigns. Let's close today with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, it's so difficult for us to lose our grips to all the things that try to keep us latched on to the happiness that we think is out there, um, especially when it comes to these stages or phases in life where we, we know something isn't right. And so maybe in a way to comfort ourselves, we, we search this short-term counterfeit comfort that really just leaves us exhausted because it never fulfills what it promises. 
I pray that you'd give us the strength, the wisdom, the friends to be able to see why it is we've been placing those conditions on our joy. Free us from it. In the name of Jesus, give us the peace that he died and rose again to give us so that we can simply let you, our Father in heaven, set the standard for what should make us joyful in any season of life. I ask that blessing in Jesus' name.